we open the Word, I pray that uh, you would breathe life into my dead sermon outline. It's not alive, it's just stuff on paper, but that you would open our hearts and, and may the living Christ through the Spirit speak through your Word this hour to each one of us. Each one of us desperately needs to hear heaven in one way or the other. We need a word of instruction, we need a word of uh, conviction, a word of uh, direction in our life, maybe just uh, wholehearted comfort or encouragement, Lord. So we pray for that and that uh, folks would see only you as we lift up Christ and thank you for the privilege. In Christ's name, amen. Take, uh, take your Bible and uh, look at Hebrews chapter 1. Let's, uh, we're continuing, uh, this is the part four in our Solas series, Solas Christos today. This is, uh, these are uh, teachings that I said by way of humility last week, if you were uh, a middle-ager, uh, if you were in middle school, so-called in the Middle Ages or in the 1600s, you would all rattle this off in, quote, paragraphs under each one of these. And uh, we Americans, uh, I don't know if it's the dumbing down of the church or we're just not as bright or the end of the genetic stream maybe, the dragnet, you know, versus, you know, years and generations earlier. But we look like, like, what's this, a solas Christos, Latin, what is that? Well, only Christ or Christ alone was the force. Remember, they, we've looked at sola scriptura, only the Bible, that's our authority, that was the first uh, uh, ex exclamation of the reformer. Second was sola fide, only faith, right? And that faith is a gift, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Then we saw sola gratia, grace, only grace, salvation in the Christian is only of grace, and what is that? We looked at that last time. And now today it's solas Christos, the Christ alone. Christ alone. And there are several chapters. If you want to just uh, think about it uh, in a category type way. Just think when you want to know all of scriptures from beginning to end teach of Jesus. Jesus doesn't just show up in Matthew, okay? You see him. When you're reading your Bible through, who do you think speaking to Moses? That's not God the Father, and that's certainly not God the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord Jesus there on Mount Sinai. Otherwise, sometimes call it Mount Horeb, right? Susan knows that. But uh, it's, that's the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ, speaking to him. And, uh, but some chapters, Colossians 1, John 1, and Hebrews 1, particularly are Christological in nature. They, they really give an expose of the wonder of the Lord Jesus. And so I thought just when we look at the sermon, the text should be at least Hebrews 1 that presents the supremacy of the Lord Jesus, and it gives a sevenfold uh, description of our Lord in Hebrews 1. So let's just begin by reading God's Word first. Uh, I'm reading out of the ESV, of course. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed to uh, uh, the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, that's the Father, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, that's Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After having made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, 
having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited, is much ex excellent to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds or spirit, and his ministers as flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, of, upright, righteous, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to the which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Incidentally, that very last verse is the verse that we find great comfort in that God's angels uh, are the protective angel, the guardian angel. Um, and that kind of thing. And incident, if you exceed the speed limit, he doesn't leave your car, this kind of thing, okay? But it's the, it's the ministering spirits, the God's elect. They, they protect and serve and watch over us and carry out God's bidding. But what a wonderful chapter presenting the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in the introduction, I've got several things. Uh, first of all, I want to I quote from Michael Horton. Michael Horton was a pastor in Wheaton area and then a professor at Westminster. And he writes about uh, our day uh, and uh, the sad shape of the evangelical church. And he quotes some sociologists and George Barnett and this kind of thing to give an idea of how important it is for us to come to understand uh, these things related to Christ and the gospel. Uh, and he writes, according to uh, University of Virginia sociologist James Hunter, 35% of evangelical seminarians, 35% of Bible-believing so-called seminarian students deny that faith in, in Christ is absolutely necessary to be saved. Now that's a sad state of affairs, that there is some other avenue by which men and women may be saved. Uh, George Barna, according to his uh, studies, the same figure for conservative evangelical Protestants in America is exactly the same, 35%. And he quotes, God will save all good people when they die, regardless of whether they've trusted in Christ. 35% of professing evangelical Protestants said, yes, I agree with that. 85%, here's another figure, 85% of American adults believe that, that when they stand, that they will stand before God and be judged. Now, that's a rather amazing figure. 85% got the idea like when you die, you give an account before God. Good job on that, okay? They got the word. They believe in hell, 85%, but only 11% think that they're going there. Only 11 
25% of American evangelical, according to George Borna. R.C. Sproul observed that to the degree that people think that they are good enough to pass divine inspection and are oblivious to the holiness of God, to that extent, they will not see Jesus as necessary. They view themselves as good enough, or God grades on an average, I guess. Uh, Horton goes on to write, that is why over one quarter of born-again evangelicals surveyed agreed with a statement that one would think might raise flags, even for those who might agree with the same thing more subtly put it, and here it is, quote, if a person is good or does enough good things for others during his life, they will earn a place in heaven. 25% agree with that. Of evangelical, those that say, I'm born again even. Furthermore, when they asked whether they agreed with the following statement, quote, Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, and all others pray to the same God, even though they use different names for that, two-thirds of evangelicals don't find that objectable. That is horrible. That the Lord Jesus is just one name of one and the same God of all these world religions is, is appalling to me. Barna notes how little difference there, are, there is between the responses of those who regularly attend church services and those who are unchurched. One respondent, an independent, he calls him an independent fundamentalist, said, quote, what is important in their case is that they have conformed to the law of God as they know it in their hearts, and then they're saved. Terrible, terrible. Well, that's the day we live in. We don't have any absolutes today, right, in a postmodern world, right? <laughs> well, no absolutes, absolutely. The whole thing caves on itself. You can't even say it in God's world that he made and designed that absolutes are impossible. That's an absolute statement, you know. It crushes under its own weight. You, you know that, of course, you know, and, uh, and so on. And, and, and so uh, in, in our day, you know, um, toleration is the big ethic. You know, you've got to be tolerant, tolerant. But tolerant to an old, or the older, if you're older at a certain age here, I don't know where it is, it means two different things. You know, there's a shift going on even in that. Christians are very tolerant. We believe that individual soul liberty. We believe that men and women stand before God and will give an account. We believe that, of course. And we believe in the right of persuasion. We persuade. Paul said, I persuade men and women to believe in Christ, you know, that I might save some. Think of 1 Corinthians 9, the persuasion. We believe that in the open market of ideas. Not force, but persuasion in prayer that God would save and call out some. That's toleration, and I respect them. They're made, everyone is made in God's image and likeness, and therefore they have dignity, worth, and value, and they will spend eternity somewhere. So they're not junk, and they're not stupid because they don't agree with me, but we pray that God calls them out, right? But now it's shifted. Toleration today means that your opinion is completely opposite of mine, but I have to validate yours to say you're right just like I'm right. And we're all right. And let's hug. Isn't that terrible? It's, a, it's, it's the dumbing down and it's the mush between the ears that is going on in the culture, uh, through the media, through the movies, uh, through the TV set, mindlessness through the educational system, lack of reading, you know, and all these type of things, the dumbing down 
of, of a people. And uh, in the church is no exception to that. Well, on your sheet, I have an uh, introduction. In our secular culture today, the further one moves from the hard sciences with their discovered absolutes and laws. What do I mean by that? Uh, the hard science, I don't mean they're harder to learn, although uh, they can be. You know, the, the more exacting science, like mathematics, that'd be the purest. I mean, two plus two is four because that's the way God designed it. You know, aren't you glad for that when you drive through Wendy's and you get changed and they go like, well, you say, hey, I think you shorted me. I was a $5 bill. No, it was right for me, and that should be right for you, and I'm keeping the difference. You know, like, now wait a minute here. You know, postmodernism doesn't work at the bank. Have you ever noticed that? They keep counting like, uh, you know, it's not sort of like, and, and that's an exact, that's the hard or in the law, in physics, right? Uh, the speed of light, I know they can bend that a little bit. They go in certain ways, but it's 186,000 miles per second, right? Uh, or a free-falling object falling in a vacuum, 32 feet per second squared, I think, if I remember. Is that right, Mark? Mark, you're, you're the physics major. You ought to be the... Yeah, and these things, you see, they're not like open, hey, that's right for you. I got a different figure. Aren't we all happy? Or, you know, like air pressure at sea level, right? What's the pressure of air at sea? It's, isn't it 14.6 14 pound, 14 pounds per square inch, right? Something like that. Oh, nuts. I write that down. 0.7. Okay, Roger. <laughs> right. All right. But you go down 100 feet in water, you go like, holy God, my ears are killing me. Why? The pressure is just immense. Okay. The closer you remain to the hard sciences of really what is, there's not the deviation. They may discover new things, electromagnetism and gravitational pull and, uh, and these kind of things and astrophysics, these kind of things but they're exacting, okay? And that's why great men of science, some of the great men of science have been great believers. Michael Faraday with, uh, with electricity and all of that and some of the great discoveries made. Even the gentleman that discovered, I remember reading the article, I don't remember his name, but he's the guy that put together this idea of the MRI. How many of you had MRIs done? They're fun, right? They stick in a donut there and, and play music, right? Raymond Demadian. Huh? Is that his name? Yeah, okay. Send me an email. I want to make sure I get a copy of it because he was a, he was a believer and God connected thoughts, radio waves and magnets. And that thought, and that's how they were able to begin to take wonderful pictures of soft tissues in your body and mine when before it was only x-rays, hard bone, I think it's broken, we can't tell, you know, only the hard stuff. Now, and that was, that was a, a godly man, Raymond. Uh, Raymond Damadian. Yeah, thanks, Raj. Well, uh, the further you wait, move away from the hard science into the social science. Now, what's that? The social science, like sociology, psychology, uh, historical geology, you know, or anthropology, some of these social and some of these that try and read the tea leaves of you know, thousands of years ago, and these, further away, get ready now. I mean, they're going to, it's all over the map. Uh, it's, they're not exacting sciences. Uh, presupposition determines uh, one's conclusions, and often they're self-contradictory. They're relative at best. And uh, it's held in these, that man, that, uh, that by, it's held by faith as, a, as an axiom that man is the measure of all things. As Rennie Descartes, they, they quote that as if that's Genesis 1-1. 1 
man is the measure of all things. And not, I say, he is not the measure. God is the creator. He defines the meaning and the value of all things. And it's the only book he ever gave. I mean, you, you get thoughts like this, and it's no wonder not too many decades ago at Harvard, B.F. Skinner uh, is a professor up there. He's a behaviorist psychologist. He's, in fact, the father of behaviorism, that you really are the sum total of the things that happen to you. That's how he explained it. You know, you're born there, and all these things happen to you, and that's who you are, behaviorism. You know, and he wrote a book entitled, B.F. Skinner, Beyond Freedom and Dignity. You see, the Bible says that you have a dignity and a freedom and a worth that is innate because you are made in God's image. Skinner's whole thesis there was, we've got to get behind this silly notion. There's no such thing as dignity in human life. There's no you're not free. You're exactly who you are by all the sum total, everything that happened to you. You can explain what you're going to do tomorrow because based on all that. It's not true. It's wrong. But there's a whole school, it's, oh, it, has, it has poisoned our culture with that kind of thinking. Uh, uh, Jesus said, uh, greater love has no man than this, and he'll lay down his life for another. You cannot explain someone, a GI, jumping on a hand grenade to save his buddies by the sum total of everything that happened to him in days gone by. No way. No way. And, uh, and so on. And so this relative, this self-contradictory, Never, never world of, uh, of, of, of the elite and the educated, and somehow if you don't believe this, you know, this, this, this idea that all truth is in flux and it's uh, dialecticism, uh, you know, A then B, let's synthesize, Hegelian, some of you studied Hegel, uh, and, and so on. And they live in this murky world. And it sounds like judges, doesn't it? Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That really is what it sounds like. Oh, that's right for you and right for me, and, that, and that just, that's about the beginning of the end, right? Because how can you live in community? A community has to have shared values, at least core. And we have had that in days gone by, but as we look forward, I wonder what they are in, as Americans. Well, that's the day we live. Truth is subjective, something within. It's true in you. This is true for me. They're, they're contradictory. But we're both right. Isn't that wonderful? Well, no, not really. Well, in the realm of religion, and I hate that word, but let's use it because people call it that, we hear the same mindset expressed when unbelievers will tell us there can't be just one true religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you ask somebody, uh, just ask them, say, um, what, uh, what, what problem? I notice you're, you're not a Christian. Right? No, I'm not. What, what problems or issues do you have that you're not? What, what's the problem with the belief or practice? Many times, many times, if you're bold enough to ask, and I really encourage you, people will tell you. You know, they will tell you. They'll say, the one thing that really bothers me about it, the exclusivity of being a Christian. Because it it's rubs against this false view of tolerance, which is a mushy view of, of a sloppy way of thinking, because truth is exacting. We said that. I didn't make the case of it. But 2 plus 2 is 4, and it, it really doesn't matter what you think or feel. Okay? You got it wrong. You put down 3. Wrong. Go back and learn your, 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 uh, your tables again. Remember those? <laughs> it's exacting. Truth is narrow by definition. It's either right or wrong, and it will always be right, and it ends in a person. Actually, we'll see that in a moment. 
And so uh, you'll get this thing from the mindset of unbeliever. There can't be just one true religion. Why, they've been brainwashed, really, and they've spoken to themselves so much in this world of, well, we can't know anything for sure, and uh, certainly if you say you know something for sure, the educated mindset, the way that it's brainwashed today is then you're the fool. You know, the mark of an absolutely educated man or woman today is that they're brilliant in something, let's say a PhD, in something the size of a postage stamp, but they don't know anything absolutely for sure. Oh, thank you. You're so brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. That's our culture, and you need to be aware of that. And then you go on the stand and go like, well, wait a minute, the Lord says this, and this is the way it always is. And they go like, what, what, what century did you come from? You're, you're obviously pre-scientific or something, and, uh, and so on. And there's a blindness and a deadness there because of that. Well, you'll hear this, you know, uh, you, and also we're told you're arrogant. This is the way it's coming across now. You're arrogant to think that Christianity is right and Jesus is the only way to heaven. I mean, that is an arrogance. Not supposing that they're assuming, see, by faith, that their position is accurate, that they can really see, but they are espousing a deep arrogance by making that statement. You see, have you noticed, folks, that, what, that preach toleration are very intolerant? Amen. Have you ever noticed that? You know, like, everybody but you, you know, like... <laughs> You see that uh, in the culture. You see it in school. You see, you see this, uh, the attack of, of Jesus this way and, and, and so on. And so another one is, uh, after all, uh, the same God is worshipped by all religions. And Christianity is just another way of getting to God, as we read the statistics from Michael Horton. Well, today we're going to consider the fourth solas of the Reformation, solas Christos, Christ alone, we mean by that that Jesus is the only way of knowing what God is really like and the only way of entering into a relationship with him as father. You see, God is not our father. When I was in sixth grade, I sang in chorus, and God is our father and we all his beautiful song. And we sang that. I remember that even to this day, the sixth grade chorus. That was, I think, before my voice changed. That was a funny time for, for a boy. <laughs> When I read my Bible, wait a minute, Jesus said some that were very real. You're of your father, the devil. Even saying, hey, we all have the same father here. And, and it's the Spirit of God that works. Around. And we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. So it's only the Lord Jesus and through his work alone, this relationship that we're able to call him Father instead of judge. And the only way of being saved from his wrath. Well, Hebrews 1 tells us, the great superiority of Jesus. Just four questions. We're going to move through them quickly, urging all to embrace Jesus as God's only remedy to save us from our sins. At John 14, 6, you should have this memorized backwards and forwards. And when I come to visit you in the hospital and you're in your closing days, you should be saying this verse. And Jesus said, I am the way. What are you saying there? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, just keep saying it over and over. John 3, just those beautiful verses. It is glorious. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way. Notice how definite that is. Oh, that's, oh, that's definite. Oh, I am the truth, aletheia, truth, and the life. And no one, there's no wiggle room there. Notice that? No one comes to the Father 
except through me. Now, you have three, three ways you can approach this, only three. Sorry, they're not ten. We're not at the ice cream store with candles. Don't you have 25 varieties? No, three. You see, it's either this. Jesus, when he says, is either right, okay, or second, he's wrong. Thank you, Jesus, for your opinion. No, uh-uh, wrong. Or third, and this is the only other option, he's, he's out of his mind, lunacy. You know, he's saying things that are nonsensical, that make no sense. You, logically, that's all you have. He's either right, he's wrong, or he's out of his mind. And of course, God has worked in our heart. We ran and go like, yay and amen. Praise God, Jesus is the way. Solas Christos. Well, the first uh, question helping us to embrace Jesus, God's only remedy, is can a person be saved by nature alone? Look at, uh, I've given you a lot of verses. We don't have time to look at all these today, but you can study that this week. In Romans chapter 1, uh, is usually turned to in 118. We discovered, because people will say, well, wait a minute, uh, <clears throat> uh, nature is sufficient. I worship God in nature. Nature, and that's just natural theology. Well, Paul writes in Romans 1, he writes about uh, nature and the creation and the glory of that. And there are things to be learned, no question about that. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress, they hold down like a good wrestler holding his opponent to the mat, suppress the truth. For what can be known, notice this now, for what can be known about God is plain, it's clear to them, because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes of God, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that all people, all, are without excuse. All people, as they look at, God, at creation, can see God. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they become uh, vain or futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of, of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and beast and animals and creeping thing. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to dishonor of their own bodies among themselves. Um, and then just flip over to Romans uh, 10. I'll make a couple comments. And in 10, Paul uh, comes to this great statement of, uh, of the gospel. And he says in uh, chapter 10, verse uh, 13, many of you know this well, for what do the Scriptures say? Romans 10, 13. Everyone who believes on the Lord will not be put to shame, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call upon Him. Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he deals with this question then. How then, uh, how then will they call on him and who have they not believed in? How will they believe in him and who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? In this great missionary church planning verse here, isn't it? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel news they go, you see, they go to the unreached. They go to dark places and tell of Jesus and churches are planted. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed 
what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. That's 1017. Well, what can we say? A, creation has much to tell us about the Creator. Psalm 19, the heavens are shouting. That's the Hebrew word, shouting, the glory of God. When you look at the heavens and you're standing like, it's a jaw-dropper. It's a jaw-dropper, really. It's shouting. There's a message there. God is speaking through the elements of His creation. I am great, He's saying. Listen, here's the message. I'm great, and you are not. You're puny, small, frail in here, but just for a moment... The immensity of outer space is gloriously huge. It staggers our puny minds. And rebellious men and women suppress and they hold down this truth. And they worship lower forms of life and even themselves, right? Mankind, mankind by nature hides from the Lord. Think of Genesis 3 and serves himself. He makes himself king. Creation is never designed to provide salvation. Never. It can only lead us to God, uh, it can, but it, uh, in that, uh, it condemns us. Uh, men and women need to hear, Romans 10, 17, need to hear the gospel to be saved. <clears throat> that Psalm 8, 34, uh, David writes, <clears throat> Lord, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man? Then he looks down at man. What is man that you even give a thought to him or the son of man that you care for him? I mean, they're so glorious by comparison, and we just disappear off the screen when you, from one to the next. And he, that's, the, that's the right person. And we learn what? That God's presence, we earn his power, we, we see his faithfulness, the seed time and harvest until the end, as he promised in, in Genesis and uh, he's faithful day after day after day, and we learn this. We learn. But you can look at the stars, the Big Dipper. Do you ever like looking at the constellations? You know, there's, uh, there, and you see, oh, my, isn't it great? <clears throat> you can do that all you want, but you'll never come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. Never. Never. Uh, even that farmer had it wrong. He was out uh, in his field, and, uh, and he was looking at the, while he was on his tractor, and he saw the clouds, and they formed like a PC, PC, and he thought, oh, God spoke to me, you know. He went home and told his very wise wife, he said, God spoke to me. She said, well, how? how? And he said, well, the, the, the clouds formed PC, and I, I've got to leave the farm and, 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 and go preach Christ. And his wife knew him better than he did at that moment and said, how do you know God wasn't telling you to plant corn? <laughs> the creation does not speak to us like that. It gives us a message. It condemns us because we know God is really there and death is coming. And I better be ready. And he's powerful and mighty. Uh, but it's limited in what it reveals. It's limited. It's limited. It's enough to judge us but never to save us. And that's the answer to that question. Number two, is the innocent African who never heard of Jesus really lost? Is he, is he really lost? The answer is what? The answer is what? What is the answer number two? Huh? Huh? Yeah, but yeah, that you're interpreting. He's not lost, is he? Because it's hypothetical. I know where you're going. <laughs> It's completely hypothetical, right? Because why? 
there's no one innocent. If there were an innocent, it didn't matter where he was, Africa, or, this is the way that question is poised to us a lot. The innocent who never heard, you know, African, oh, he's just trying to do his best and all that, he's good. Is he lost? Well, no, it's a trick question. There are no innocent, aren't they? Romans 3.23, I don't even have to look that up, you know that. For all, all, there's no wiggle room there, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, that's all of it. That's the African, that's the Asian, that's it. There are no innocent, even our children. I'm sorry to tell you, the fruit does not fall far from the tree. They're rotten little apples because you're a rotten little, you're a rotten bigger apple. That's, that's the, you know, that's, you don't learn that theology, but that's true, and that is theological. And then, the, how about 623, the wages of sin is death. I mean, that's 100% of people die. We said that last week. In the day you eat of that Adam, you're going to die. And he died spiritually. God threatened him, and uh, he began to die, and he was going to die 900-some years later, right? And his children will all die. They lived and they died. They lived and they died. It's 100%. Now, that's pretty amazing. You ever get 100% in school? Yeah, that's pretty, sis, you're a teacher. Anyone get 100%? Uh, maybe some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> 100%, God's 100%. Now, there are two exceptions. Now, what are they? That's right. Enoch and Elijah were translated, and they form a wonderful picture of uh, the last generation of believers on earth before, uh, before uh, the Lord comes, uh, when the rapture of the church, that we shall go without dying. That's that blessed hope, uh, and so on. But uh, A, the question assumes that there is someone somewhere innocent, false. Uh, God told all of sin comes short. Uh, number two, death is God's sense upon all people everywhere. He's holy and just. And remember two things with this, all right? God is sovereign. In his rule of this world, Romans 9, you should know that. Difficult chapter, but it's uh, in the Word, so embrace it. Come to understand it, that God is sovereign, that he calls some and he bypasses other. Many are called, if you're up to date and you read this morning, I read that, our reading in Matthew this morning, many are, Jesus said, many are called, uh, few are chosen. And you have to work that out. How does that all work? There's a general call to all people to repent to believe the gospel, and then there's that effectual call in the midst of that where the Spirit of God saves, and he draws men and women, boys and girls, to a saving knowledge. He's sovereign. He's the potter, and we are the clay. Don't ever mix that up. He's the potter. He has the ability to make at any time uh, vessels to honor and vessels to dishonor. That's his call for his glory ultimately and finally only. Praise God for that. And then you have to tie Paul's words in Acts 17. I think they're very, very important there in Athens uh, where it tells that God has determined the periods and the boundaries of all peoples. It's kind of an amazing thing when you think we only live a little bit so we don't see a lot of shifting nations, nationalities, people. It's a little more constant. People were more dependent on weather and feeding and game and, 
and cultivation and floods, and they would move and so on. Migrations were common in that day. But we see it today. We see nations rising and falling. We see the Far East and the gospel powerfully being opened. South Korea is loaded with Bible-believing Christians. China, 50 million, they say, and it could explode more. And in, 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 in Latin America, down in Brazil, it just seems like God is working in different nationalities and in countries and nations. And it, we, we're, we feel like we're on the post-burn. We look at England there, and 1% go to church and go, what happened? That was the English Reformation there, Wesley and Whitfield, and what happened there, you know? And we feel like we're 20 years behind England, and oh no, we're going the wrong direction. Whereas we read other harvest fields, God is wonderfully working, and in His timing, drawing out His people according to His work. So there's the end. Number three, don't all religions worship the same God? 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Answers it biblically for us, but A, in our pluralistic day, they love to lump all religions into one pot. I took those classes. It was called comparative religion. I had to go through and study all the, the, uh, the nuances of all the major faiths, if you will. Turned out great because I saw how ludicrous and crazy some of them are in detail. I had to learn it and spit it back in an exam uh, to that. But the, but the underlying thesis was, oh, they're all the same. They're all, we can't trust any of them, sort of. That skepticism is, is really big in our day. Uh, however, by just, if you just compare the, some of the major ones, I don't have time now, but I put down a couple, the contradictions are overwhelming. And they destroy any such hope that they're all the same and it's all the same God and, and so on with a different name. For example, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism believe in a personal God. Personal God. Personal, not a force. You know, the force, remember that, the force? <laughs> Shut your eyes and go with the force. The force, the impersonal energy. No, these three believe in a person. In fact, biblically, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons in Christianity, uh, and a personal God who holds people accountable for their beliefs and practices and whose attributes cannot be reduced to love. Can't, just God is love. You'll hear that. And that, like that's the sum total of all he is. Well, Hinduism and Zen Buddhism, get this, do not believe in a personal God. And, they, and you can't lump it all together and say that uh, they're worshiping the same God by a different name. How about this even more? Zen Buddhism does not really believe in God. That'll, that's a shocker. Maybe you didn't know that. Uh, it's a belief in the supernatural. Wow, let that blow your mind a little. This conflicts with Hinduism that does not believe in supernatural realm at all beyond the material world. Impossible to lump them together. Absolutely impossible. In fact, Hinduism because they believe in a, 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 a circle, one world, one reality, they really don't even distinguish between good and evil. Do you know that? Good and evil are, are the same in Hinduism. Now, that sounds crazy in our Western uh, post-Christian way of, of thinking about things, uh, that, that to a Hindu, really, you could uh, help an old lady across the street, and that's a very nice thing to do, or you could uh, uh, slice her throat on the other side. And they would not make a moral judgment that that was wrong or this is right. We go like, what? That pure nonsense. Called nonsense, by other word, is nonsense. And now you say they're all the same? Hardly. Sounds like satanic deception, and that's really what it is. 
In fact, all religions and cults, according to Paul, in 1 Corinthians, when he's talking about meat offered to idols, remember that section there? He said, yeah, I can get filet mignon. It's really cheap because it's offered to idols and the pagans won't eat it then. But I know there's no gods. There's only one God, and it's the Lord Jesus. So I go down there. He's a good Jew, right? I know a good deal. When I, I know a good deal. I get filet mignon. I get it for 10 cents a pound, so I don't mind going down there and eating. And some of the young believers coming out of that were like, oh, the apostle Paul's down there. He's eating at the pagan temples, filet mignon. Oh. You know, they didn't have time to sort all that out yet. And Paul says, that's simply the worship of demons. It's not, they're not gods and all that. And in fact, all other isms in that we can extract, cults and so on, really is a form of satanic worship. Remember, Satan is the great counterfeiter. The, the text tells us he disguises himself as an angel of light. He would be like, a, appear to be good, but it's evil through and through. The appearance of worship, the appearance of religiosity, and people feel good that they're doing something this way, maybe, but really they're hiding from the God that is, and that's satanic from beginning to end. Well, how does, the, how does one define the word religion? Well, it has to be broader in definition than belief in a God because of Zen Buddhists don't believe in God. How about that above? Uh, and so one man, I like this, it's, it, it, it is a set of beliefs that explain what life is about, who we are, and the most important things human beings should spend their life doing. Not bad. All people, and you note this, all people have these faith assumptions. This is a big misnomer in our day. You'll hear, I'm a, I'm a person of faith, I'm a person of science, I'm a person of... No, listen, I'm going to say it a couple times, we're out of... Everybody is a person of faith. Everybody. Everybody. There are certain things that you assume to be true by faith, and you begin at that point out. Everyone. And it doesn't matter if they deny it. Oh, you're, oh, you're a person of faith. I'm a person of... No, no. I, and, and any kind of good discussion, if you can have it, is it delves in the presuppositions. No, you assume this. You're assuming that. And you deal with their faith system and and show how invalid that is. So it doesn't matter if they're scientists. There's a whole series of things that they assume to be true. They take by faith. Writers, educators, farmers, every person is a person of faith. In reality, all of us are religious. God made us that way. Each person has a worldview that is based on assumptions that are believed to be true. Don't be fooled by that. That was one of the great things I learned in my first year at a Christian college in Western civilization. I had never thought beyond this. I was a product of public school training and all that. I had never thought, well, oh, that's right. And that's the right way to, that, that, and, 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 and that way, everyone is biased. Sometimes you'll hear in the media, oh, I'm neutral, or they assume they're neutral. Everyone assumes, unless they're a wacko, that they're Mr. Neutrality, Mrs. Neutrality, right? They're not. They're, they're, everyone has a bent in, in one direction, and it's their assumptions and in, in the sins in their life or not. You know, uh, even Hemingway, I've said it a thousand times, I love his honesty. He killed himself. He had more children than he knew where they were. He lived like a pig, right? But he said in his writings, I'm an atheist because I love my sin. Well, he had a bent that way, and he just was honest about it, you see. And so think rightly about that insofar as don't all religions worship the same God. Finally, what does the Bible teach us about Jesus? Well, we read Hebrews 1. He is the amazing, glorious Lord of all. 
And I just uh, will we'll close with this thought. Uh, go back to that Hebrews passage, um, chapter 1. I just want to show, remind you of the sevenfold, seven being the number of completion, uh, description of the Lord Jesus here. It says in verse 2, the first, he, he was, Jesus is appointed the heir of all things. He uh, created the world. He's creator, number two. He's the radiance of the glory of God. Here's God. The radiance are the beams that come off, if you will, so intimately connected. He's the exact image of his nature. Well, if you have a coin in your pocket, you pull that out, there was an image that, that's the word that was used, it was struck into that metal. Have you ever gone to the Denver Mint or one of those? They, that's, it. that's the word. When you look at Jesus, that image is the exact image of God the Father. It's a, that's the glory of our Lord uh, and, uh, and so on. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He made, after making purification for sin, he sat down, meaning it was a finished work. A priest never sat down. If you're reading the Bible, you've read the tabernacle, there were no chairs. They were always standing, laboring, working, yeah, no chairs for a priest to sit down. Symbolized his work was finished. And that's Jesus, our high priest. He became superior to all. Well, this wonderful chapter tells us the period of Jesus, calls us to see him, his words, as God's supreme revelation of himself to mankind. There is none other. God has spoken in his Son. He is not silent. Listen to him. Listen. Take heed. In the next chapter of Hebrews 2, he goes on to say, how in the world does anyone escape if they neglect this so great salvation? That's in Jesus. The point is, there is no escape. It is exclusive. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Well, lessons for our life. Number one, enjoy the wonder and beauty of God's creation. God is beautiful. He is beautiful. The text tells us that. And whatever he does, he's the great artist. The colors and the balance and the symmetry and the... Uh, it's just so beautiful, God's creation. And let it teach you about his glory and the greatness of such a God who would make such a place as this. And look, as you look into outer space, hear God's message. I said it earlier. God says, I'm great and you are not. Worship not the outer space, not the stars, not the trash of astrology. Don't even read that junk. Worship only the Lord. And yet as great as he is, and as great as nature is, I mean, uh, know that it can never save a single person. You can look at the clouds until the cows come home. They used to say that, right? I don't know what that means exactly. But it, uh, and, yeah, won't mean a, it won't mean a thing. You go like, wow, wow, wow. And if you're lost in heart and sin or your friends are your family, it will never say that. It will draw them, and it should draw them to want to know more. Who is this God, this creator? And maybe God in his grace and mercy will call them and save them. But faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. Number two, every person, remember, is a person of faith. There are no exceptions. Includes the simplest person to the most educated. Even the most secular person is religious. That's an anathema if you, if you remind him of that and show him how that's true. He'll hate that thought, or she'll hate it, but it's true. It's not that some are people of faith and some are not. We all are. 
and be encouraged by it. Number three, God has revealed himself most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. If you desire to know what God is like, look and listen to Jesus. It's one of the most amazing ways to read through. We're reading through Matthew now. Watch how Jesus interacts. Watch what he does. Watch how he confronts air. Look at his compassion. You're looking at the face of God. It's beautiful. Then uh, that Lay Miz is out in a movie now. Maybe how any of you see that? Lay Miz. We saw the play. Did, did you like that? I did. Uh, Sarah liked She was blowing away, and Faith and I saw it. I thought it was fabulous. <laughs> I heard two men in the men's room later saying, yeah, my wife wants to go. They saw something else. Hey, uh, my wife wants to see that Lay Miz. What do you think? He said, well, I saw it. Uh, and the guy said, have your wife go with a girlfriend. <laughs> I thought it was great. One of the great lines in it was, to love someone is to see the what? To see the face of God. To love someone is to see the face of God. Let me play off that a little bit. To watch Jesus in here is to see God. You see his face, his compassion, his love. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Clearly, it's the clearest revelation of the Father. He is the exact image, the radiance of God. Number four, there are many roads that lead to hell. Many of them, wide and broad is the way. It's filled with all kinds of isms. Human works, humanism, all this kind of stuff. Satan's a great counterfeiter. Don't be fooled by him. He disguises himself like an angel of light. And five and last, today Jesus is calling. He's calling you to be saved from your sin. If you are never trusted him, he's calling you to trust him and believe in him and receive him. If you are saved, he's calling you to holiness of life and, and your battle against sin, and me too to grow, to be like Jesus, to be ready for heaven. Humbly confess him. Remember, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Solas Christ, Christos, only Jesus. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful Savior, oh God, your Son. We thank you. May we love you more and more. More love to you, Lord Jesus. May we sing that. More and more, oh Lord, we love thee so. In Christ's name, amen.